So we started last week a series of messages called Men and Women, Husbands and Wives. And that pretty much uh, covers all of us. Um, and the reason we did so <clears throat> is because of this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15 that I find to be so critical, so often misunderstood, and, and, and because that's the case, that this is so critical and often misunderstood, we need to, to spend some time here and hear God's voice. Because listen to this. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing this letter, which is what uh, the book of 1 Timothy is, it's a letter to a guy named Timothy who is his son in the faith, Paul's son in the faith. He was a local church pastor, and Paul, his mentor, was telling him things that he needed to know about how to pastor that local church. And in the uh, first seven verses of chapter 2, Paul says to him, look, this is what God's intention is for you as a leader in the church. I want, he wants for you to stir up the people of God to become world changers. Yes, world changers. That's not an empty phrase. God intends for all of us who are the followers of Christ to become world changers. Paul says to Timothy, God wants you to lead your flock in a way where those people become world changers through intercessory prayer. And that's what is laid out for us in those first seven verses. A high calling of God. And then chapter 3, the first uh, 13 verses are about um, Paul telling Timothy how to uh, evaluate and release leadership in the church. It's the characteristics and qualities that uh, God is looking for in men and women who will rise to become leaders in the church of Jesus Christ, the only hope of the world. And so between the, sandwiched in between these two major passages that describe the calling of God's people is th are these verses we're considering in these weeks together that seem so out of place at first. They seem they don't, like they don't belong. Like the flow of the letter just got broken by these few verses, verses 8 through 15, but nothing could be more untrue. Paul inserted these instructions here about how men and women ought to behave and how they ought to relate to each other because if we don't get that right, the other stuff doesn't happen. Now, I acknowledged last week, and I will again, that in these verses, for those of you especially who are scripturally literate enough to know it's coming, there is a minefield in the midst of these verses. And uh, we aren't going to get to that until next week. And so please do me the favor, promise me you're going to lay aside your preconceptions about those, that section of this passage until we get a chance to talk about it together. Because in my opinion, um, these verses, particularly verses, uh, verse 11, 12, and 15, are some of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in all of the Bible. I'm not saying that I have a corner on the market of insight about these things, but I'm just saying that by and large, these verses are just radically misunderstood. And when that happens, we miss what God is saying in this very important passage. So do me a favor and just set that stuff aside for now until we can talk about it together next week. But I do want to point out a couple of things 
verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 tells us that Adam was formed first and then Eve. That's not, and I, this is why I need to say this, that's not to say that Adam is more important. It's not a listing of hierarchy here. It's helping us to understand the chronology, the, the story, how it unfolded. Adam was uh, the first to hear from God that he should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, you can have everything. It's all yours. Don't eat it of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam heard that first. And he heard it directly from God. He had more time to process it than Eve. That's what's being said here. And then it goes on to say, partly as a result of that, that Adam is more culpable for his sin. He was not deceived as Eve were, was, we are told here. She responded to that temptation to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because she was deceived. That doesn't mean it was any less sinful. It doesn't mean it was, had any less impact. But, he, but Paul's making clear that Adam knew what he was doing. He chose with eyes full, wide open, to rebel against God's um, command. Now the New Testament, other places in the New Testament tell us that the sin nature that has come down to each of one of us, and by the way, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but when you were born, I know your mom and dad held you in this sweet little thing, but really what you were was a sin bomb ready to go off. Because all of us were born under the curse of sin. All of us were born with a sin nature. As a result of Adam and Eve's fall. <clears throat> but the Bible says that sin nature comes down to us through Adam. So there was something about, the, about his willful disobedience that marks the human race as, as sinners. But in the same way, when we talked about this last week, in the same way that Adam failed, in, or in contrast to Adam's failure, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, did not fail. He stared down sin and was victorious over it so that we could be forgiven and cleansed. But this uh, verse 13 and 14 sets up this understanding for us that Adam and Eve were tempted differently and responded to the temptation differently and as a result the genders are impacted differently by the fall. Men, the sons of Adam, women, the daughters of Eve, have over us, even those of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and been forgiven and our, our sin is cleansed, there still remains over for many of us kind of, of a cloud that hangs over us, the residue of the unique way that Adam and Eve were tempted and failed at that temptation. Last week we talked about how that impacts men and Paul's instructions to them in verse 8 to us as men about how to straighten that out, to come out from under that cloud so that we can live the life that God has intended us and called us to, to be world changers through intercessory prayer and leaders of the church. And now as we move to verses 9 and 10, Paul's going to address in the same manner 
the things that uniquely affect women. But before we do that, I want to show you this video that just reminds us once again how different men and women are. So yeah, we are different, and those differences are biological and psychological, but there are also spiritual differences, uh, some of which is inherited from uh, Adam and Eve that we, God wants to lead us out from under. So that's, that's why we're doing this together. Verse 9 says, In like manner also... Uh, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Let me just back up and say that this is a continuation of this section that begins in verse 8 where Paul says, I desire therefore, because God is calling his people to, to be intercessory uh, warriors, people who change the world by their intercessory prayer, I desire therefore these things. And in verse 9, in similar fashion as what I've just said to the men, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Now before we kind of tear into that a little bit, let me set something else up for you. I want to remind you of what God intended Eve to know about herself before facing the temptation that God knew was coming. Remember, we, we have an all-knowing God. God knew that Adam and Eve would be tempted and he knew how they would be tempted and by whom. And God was setting up Eve to be able to resist that temptation. He wanted her to know some things about who she is, what she was about so that when assaulted on the basis of her identity, which is what her temp that temptation was targeted at, she would be able to resist that temptation. We all know that that wasn't what happened, but it's good for us to recall how God set her up. First of all, God wanted her to know, wanted Eve to know, wanted you to know that Eve was uniquely created the seven days of creation had ended. Uh, Eve was created separately, uniquely, and was different than everything else that God had made. And he took Adam on a journey of discovery where he assigned him to catalog all of creation. And in doing so, Adam became... Con un he became uh, convinced of and aware of the fact that nowhere in all of this creation is anyone who fills this need in me. No one who completes me. There's nothing here that's like me. So God created someone who fulfilled that role uniquely in all creation. Eve. God also wanted her to know she was longed for. God set this up. Adam, through this process, began to desire uh, the, the, a complementary, uh, someone to complete him. He became very intuitive, very aware of the fact that he was incomplete. God was setting him up and stirring in him a longing for this life's partner. So Eve was longed for. He wanted her to know that she was considered a gift. The Bible says that 
He, God himself, brought Eve and gave her to the man. She was a gift to him. He wanted her to know that she is fully known and accepted. When, it, when the Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, he's talking about something very, very important. There was nothing, nothing that needed to be hidden, nothing that needed to be enhanced, nothing that needed to be altered, completely exposed and known, head to foot, soul, everything about her, and accepted and loved and desired for who she was. Not who she might be, come, but who she was. Known, fully known, and fully accepted and valued. And that she was worth leaving everything for. Remember uh, in Genesis it says that for this cause, what cause? For the joining of Adam to his wife Eve, for this cause, a man will leave his mother, his father, his everything, and be joined to his wife. God wanted Eve to know she was uniquely created, longed for a gift from God, fully known and accepted and worth leaving everything for. God was setting her up to understand the solid footing of her identity. Because Satan, the serpent, the devil, was about to throw everything that he had at that sense of, of worth and identity. And it came to her this way. It assaulted her, her uh, sense of not, or, or he tried to uh, cause her to believe she was not enough. This is the form of the, the, that the lie took. Remember, uh, Paul says that Eve was deceived. Well, here's how the deception unfolded. The enemy wanted her to, to buy this lie. You are not enough all by yourself. You need this. You know, we, we often describe it as an apple. We don't know. Some fruit, right? He said, you are not complete. You are not everything you need to be. You need this to make it so. And he said, look, this is good for food. And he was appealing to a woman's uh, in native desire. God uh, created desire to nurture yeah, Sue just took off at the break because she went to prepare for a meeting we're having at her home later this afternoon. Why? Because it was not enough for her to just stop by McDonald's and grab a few burgers. <laughs> she, she, even though it's just a small group of people, she wanted to make sure everybody's cared for. Everybody feels uh, thought of. And even in the presentation of the food that there's that it was um, desirable and, you know, all of that. And that's part of, of what God built into Eve and her daughters, this nurturing um, capacity that, frankly, a lot of us men don't have. And the devil says there's something missing from the menu of your nurturing that can only be filled with this. This is good for food. And if you don't have this on the menu, you don't have everything you could have. You don't have a full arsenal of that which you could use in nurturing. This is missing. God has withheld this from you. Then he went and said, look how beautiful this is. It's, it's pleasant to the eyes. And he was appealing to another thing that's unique about women is their, their um, eye for beauty and their understanding of that intangible thing that's, that's beauty. 
And he was saying to her, look, if, without this, if you don't add this lovely thing to your, uh, your arsenal, your, your, uh, your wardrobe, so to speak, uh, you are not as lovely as you could be. And then he said, uh, this is desirable to make one wise. And he was saying to Eve, you are shallow without this. Now, if there's anything I've learned as a man over time, a woman is a very deep well, but they don't often realize that. They think of themselves as being shallow because our culture make, makes, um, keeps reinforcing that idea. But God did not make Eve that way. And they, the enemy came to her with this lie, you are not as deep as you could be without this. In all three of those ways, he was saying, he was trying to convince her that she needed something that God had not given her. And that as God had made her, she was not enough. That's the lie. That's the deception that Eve bought. And that's why she fell into sin. But Paul here in this passage says, look, you don't... We, we, not only does the cross deal with our sin and bring forgiveness, but you don't have to continue to live under that cloud, the residue of that debacle in the Garden of Eden. Ladies, did you hear me? You don't have to continue to live under the stain of that mess that happened in the Garden of Eden. And Paul addresses that. He says, clothe yourselves, apparel yourselves, garment yourselves uh, with modesty. That word modesty is a word in the Greek that we get our English word cosmos from. The cosmos is the universe. Have you ever considered how all that spinning stuff out there all that, the revolutions of planets and suns and orbits and whatnot, this amazing dance that's happening, it includes our little planet orchestrated by God, the order of it all, how it demonstrates the magnificence of our mighty God. Paul is saying here, women, when you consider how your life is garmented, the how you apparel yourself, and he's not just talking about hair and makeup and clothes and, and uh, whatever else, right? He's not talking about that stuff necessarily. He's also including everything else that apparels your life, your friends, your activities, your priorities, all the things that, that you, uh, you know, garment yourself with. And he's saying, do it in a orderly way so that it is you. So that all this stuff meshes together, orbits in a way that is designed by God and that you come, you are seen through it. Don't apparel yourself in a way that when you look in the mirror there's somebody else staring back at you. That's what he means by modesty. He's not just talking about high necks and long skirts. He's, he's talking about something far more important. You know, if, well, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say it, but I'm gonna now anyway. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, I don't know who it is that you're trying to see there, 
But whoever it is is not nearly as beautiful as you being you. And then he goes on to say, continue to adorn yourself, apparel yourself, garment yourself um, with propriety. There's one other place, only two places in the New Testament where this Greek word is used, and the other places in Hebrews 12, 28, where it's translated reverence, and it's about reverencing God, honoring God. Paul is saying, women, apparel yourself, garment yourself in a way that honors God. Make the focus not the attention drawn to you, but the attention that how you present yourself honors God. And then he says, uh, with moderation. Well, what does that mean? That's, that's self-control. Heaven knows. 24-7, 365, all of us. But I would, I would say, and I think rightly so, that more so women are bombarded with cultural and marketing pressure to be, look, behave in a certain way that makes you attractive, makes you a woman. And Paul is saying here, exercise self-control. Know where to set the boundary. No, that's not right. That's not true. That's not me. That's not God. Know how to push back on that culture that keeps trying to reinforce the things that you should be and should look like and should smell like, right? Now, I'm a pastor, so people tell me things that they probably wouldn't tell other people. And so I get, I mean, I don't go looking for it, but I get, you know, these intimate details sometimes that people give me. And twice uh, in my life, I've had, well, I've had women talk about this kind of stuff with me before and Again, you just have to take my word for it. There's nothing seedy or, you know, any of that kind of thing going on. It's just as a part of, people need to talk about stuff sometimes and they, they ho hopefully, uh, and, I, and, I, and I believe rightly so, can trust me with this stuff. Anyway, uh, twice I've had women tell me about their uh, breast augmentation surgeries where they said these words, I had to have this done because I did not feel like a woman. Really? Where in the world does that come from? That some size or shape of some body part determines your identity? I tell you where that comes from. The same character who laid this one on, in her, on Eve in the garden, that's who. But it gets reinforced by our culture that you have to look a certain way and have certain dimensions. And by the way, that changes from generation to generation. But that's so symptomatic of so many things. And Paul says, adorn yourself in a way that pushes back on that, on that lying stuff and, and doesn't own it. And by the way, let me just throw this in. Husbands, don't you dare, don't you dare add to that. And finally he says, um, adorn yourself or clothe yourselves, uh, accessorize yourself with good works. Um, Paul says, don't be content to appear beautiful, be 
beautiful. And the, the Message Bible, I love the way it captures this, that part of the, of the verse. It says, doing something beautiful for God and becoming beautiful doing it. I want to repeat that again. <laughs> doing something beautiful for God and becoming beautiful doing it. When we as men and women take Paul's instructions, the word of God's instructions to heart and step out from under the stain and shadow of, of the legacy of our fa fallen father and mother, then hold on <laughs> because an amazing thing starts to happen. We begin to be the ones who change the world through our prayers. The ones who, by rising to places of leadership in his church, are able to call the lost to salvation, the hopeless to, to the one who can change everything in a person's life, the sick to healing, and on and on it goes. But when we're preoccupied with what purse I ought to wear, we're not on the job for the kingdom of God. You hear me? So let's let Jesus take his word and massage it deep into those places where it needs to go into our souls. This is recording number 11235 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 13, 2016. This is the second message in a series titled, Men and Women, Husbands and Wives. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Women of Worth.